Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, um, I know you signed up for an Awakening Joy retreat. Uh, you might have asked yourself once or twice, uh, where's the joy? Uh, especially on the, this first day. Um, if you're new to this process, uh, it's a very good question, legitimate question to ask. Um, it is an Awakening Joy retreat. And believe it or not, this is leading to uh, true well-being. At least that's what I've seen in all the years that I've been um, practicing and, and sharing with others. Uh, but as we've said a few times, that the first couple of days on a retreat uh, are a, a settling in process that's as much about patience and uh, kindness with oneself and the process as it is uh, cultivating any other particular uh, mind states. I mentioned in, in a group that it's a bit like um, having a detox, going to detox, and what you're fasting from is stimulation, among other things. The busyness of our lives and the, the running on doing, and it takes a, a, a while to switch from that doing mode to a being mode. <clears throat> and it might be unfamiliar to, to many of you who are doing this for the first time. But here you are told to sit still, don't move pretty much as best you can for 45 minutes or so, uh, walk in a certain way, um, don't talk in a bed that might be, that's new to you, maybe with a roommate, and then you look at the schedule and there's sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking. Uh, what's going on here? It's almost guaranteed to bring up some resistance, and uh, some um, uh, discomfort, uh, particularly if you're um, having low energy, which is very common because we're not used to um, not operating on the stimulation. Uh, so where's the joy? Uh, let me ask, uh, how many people were sleepy today? Oh, okay. How many people were restless or had moments of real restlessness when they weren't sleepy? Okay. Uh, aches in the body? Okay. Look around. Busy mind? Yeah. You're all right on schedule. All right. <laughs> That's pretty much the, the first day or so. And what makes it easier after you've been doing this for a while is you understand that is part of the package. And so uh, you don't have uh, this head-scratching feeling uh, that can easily come uh, 
what am I doing here? You know, what's supposed to be happening? Why did I sign up for this? Joy? Um, so I wanted to um, spend uh, some time tonight first explaining um, how this process works and um, in particular why this leads to what I am calling joy or one can say true well-being. And in it I uh, will uh, try to cover three particular um, states of the, the ten states that, um, that I uh, have found to awaken real joy uh, in, the, in the course that I teach. I uh, want to talk about mindfulness. I want to talk about intention, the power of intention, and also um, why opening up to the whole show including the difficulties, particularly including the difficulties, actually leads to um, real happiness and well-being. So this is a, a retreat where we are cultivating mindfulness, this quality of seeing or being present for the moment just as it is without trying to manipulate it, without trying to hold on to a pleasant experience, without pushing away unpleasant experience, just being connected to your actual experience. This is what the Buddha called the most direct way to open to the highest happiness. In the discourse on mindfulness, or the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the, the basis for this meditation that we're doing and, uh, and really all of Buddhist meditation, he opens it by saying, there is one direct way, sometimes it's translated, there is one most wonderful way to overcome sorrow lamentation, and pain and anxiety, grief and despair, and realize the highest happiness. That is the establishment of mindfulness. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? What a powerful statement. There is one way to end pain and anxiety sorrow, grief, and despair, and realize the highest happiness, and that is the establishment of mindfulness. It's really actually extraordinary when I think about it, how he discovered this secret that once you see becomes so obvious, once you experience it for yourself, it becomes so obvious, but it's so subtle and so elusive to most of us, how simply being present for your experience can do all of those things. And it's the underpinning of of all the other practices that we do, both here on this particular themed retreat and um, all the 
the teachings that we do here at uh, at Spirit Rock. <clears throat> One way to think of it is that there are lots of different states of mind that we can experience. And I, I mentioned a little bit um, last night, there are what are called unwholesome states that are that are themselves suffering and lead to more suffering like fear and obsession or grasping or aversion or um, anger or jealousy or all of those. You're familiar with those? You know the ones that I'm talking about? Those are called unwholesome states. Not that they're evil or bad, but just that they are associated with suffering. The mind and the and the 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 body and the heart get very contracted and then there are wholesome states kusala as opposed to akusala in pali kindness compassion peace joy generosity all of these states that are called wholesome because they're states of well-being that are themselves pleasant and happy states and lead to more happiness. Out of all the states, there are 52 mental factors in Buddhist psychology. It's kind of the, the hand you're dealt with. We're all dealt with that, those qualities. I know sometimes it seems like not Everybody has a full deck, but uh, but that's it. That's the basic um, smorgasbord of human feelings. Out of all of those mental factors, mindfulness is the one faculty or factor that has the unique property of weakening all the unwholesome states and strengthening all the wholesome states. It's quite extraordinary. If you're feeling frightened or confused or sad or obsessive, whatever, being mindful has the capacity to create some space so you're not feeding that emotion and you can relate to it in a skillful way and it actually weakens it. And I know many people here know firsthand how that works or that it does work. And mindfulness also strengthens... I'm going to put this on. Strengthens all the positive or wholesome qualities in that if you are mindful, there you are cultivating peace, equanimity, you're cultivating a generosity of heart, you're cultivating loving kindness, you're cultivating all these qualities just in the moment that you're mindful. So as we are practicing this, we are, whether we know it or not, developing these other qualities. Um, just as a, a little exercise, I did this in, uh, in a group today. Um, put your hand out in front of you right now. 
and move it slowly back and forth through space. And as you're doing it, close your eyes and put all your attention on feeling the movement. Right now, is there any worry in your mind? Is there any fear? Any longing? Just feel the movement. Any yesterday or tomorrow? It's just being with your experience. Okay, you can open your eyes. Congratulations, you were just mindful. And in that moment, the mind isn't caught up in its stories. And there's a completeness, a wholeness connection with this moment that's not needing anything else to make it a better moment. That quality can be experienced with your hand moving or feeling a breath or hearing a sound or feeling a sensation or feeling an emotion, pleasant or unpleasant actually, it doesn't matter. You can be very interested in feeling whatever emotion is coming up or even being curious about an unpleasant sensation. We usually think that it's got to be fun or pleasant for us to, uh, to, find, to be worthy of our attention. But actually we can learn to be curious about anything and develop a, a healthy relationship with it. Mindfulness, when you're in the middle of a confused state or you find yourself spinning your stories, mindfulness brings you back to the present moment and out of the stories in your head. And I think I'll read a a little anecdote um, from my book that uh, I love that illustrates this. If you know Sylvia Borstein, uh, you know that uh, she's one of the most beloved uh, teachers in our community and uh, just a a really wise and and loving being. And she was describing uh, at at one uh, joy class about the power of mindfulness and how it worked for her. She says, one evening while she was staying in New York City, um, she'd arranged to meet a friend for a theater performance and decided to take a bus to get there. As the bus crept along through the heavy traffic, Sylvia started worrying. I'm going to be late. I'll miss the curtain. My friend will worry about what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus. The subway would have been so much faster. Figuring she could walk faster than the bus was going, Sylvia got off. And of course, as I'm walking, the bus passes me by, she says. And now I'm thinking I should have taken a cab. Sylvia's been meditating for years, but she's also, by her own admission, been fretting for many years, so it was an easy reaction for her to fall into. So she continues her story, and she describes running down Broadway in high heels with a cold wind whipping around her. And then, all of a sudden, I have the thought, what am I doing? I'm grumbling. That's a moment of mindfulness. Oh, I'm grumbling. Up until then, I was caught up in a habit-driven narrative, an editorial comment about what was happening. The moment at which the mind says, Sylvia, you're grumbling. 
not with a with a judgment, but just, Sylvia, oh, you're grumbling. The lens switches, and suddenly the truth of that moment is, I'm a 71-year-old woman running down Broadway in the middle of winter in high heels. That is far out. That is an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt proud, and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. Just one moment flipping the switch from I'm going to be late to oh, oh, what's happening? Oh, you're grumbling, dear. Ah, you're free of the story. In any moment that you realize you've been creating this spin cycle in your mind and see, oh, as I was saying in one of the groups, oh, having a meltdown, that's what's happening here. Oh, freaking out. That's what's going on. In that moment, you're not feeding it and you get some space enough to see. The awareness can see, oh, creating this story that's difficult for me right now. And you don't have to be a a meditation teacher of many, many years to learn this. This was somebody on their first retreat who was having a whole lot of Uh, difficulty just spinning her wheels and kind of trying to figure things out. And I kept on telling her, you don't have to figure it out. Just be mindful. And then finally, she she wrote me a note at the very end. She said, the one thing that's indelible in my brain is finally getting you don't have to figure it out. That would never have registered in my mind as an option before. Yesterday, during walking meditation, there I was going round and round in my mind, trying to come up with an answer to some problem, getting more and more wound up. And then I remembered, you don't have to figure it out. And I asked myself, what do I know to be true right now? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and the placing of my foot on the ground. And the rest will sort itself out in its own time, I thought to myself, as I resumed my walking. What a revelation. So mindfulness interrupts the negative thoughts and spin cycle. In a moment you see, oh, that's what's happening. This is an incredibly potent ally in opening up to the mind and seeing everything that's in there. And it also has the capacity when you are feeling really um, good, when there's a truly wholesome moment, say there's a moment of love that comes through. When you pay attention to it, it deepens the experience. And I say pay attention, meaning the actual experience of that wholesome state, to be mindful of it. It's, it means that instead of knowing, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good right now, to feel what it's like to feel good. Because this is how you deepen your experience. I'll just invite you for a moment. Um, think, of, think of something that uh, brings you joy. You might close your, mind, close your eyes for a moment. 
Think of something that really um, opens you, delights you, some activity, some situation. Okay. And now as you bring it to mind, remember the last time you were in the middle of that. And just as you're just getting in touch with it, notice how it feels inside. What's the landscape of that well-being, that joy? There's no wrong answer for this. Just what does it feel like as you recall? Mm, yeah, it feels so good. Okay, you can open your eyes. First, uh, let me ask um, what brings you joy? You can have a few comments. Shared openness, okay. And how did it feel when you, uh, when you recalled it? Uh, delicious. Delicious. Uh, open. open, okay. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, the toothless smile on my seven-month-old son. Say, say again. The toothless smile on my seven-month-old son. Mm, toothless smile on seven-month-old son. And when you, when, you're, when you just thought of it, what's the feeling inside? Could you describe what it feels like? Joy spilling out. Yeah. What else? Yes. Your sister. Just thinking about your sister. So that loving connection. And how did it feel when you thought of her? Rosy, warm, and glowing. Mm, So we could go through a whole lot of stuff. How many people said or thought uh, playing with their pets? Okay, that's almost always. How many people thought dancing or doing something? like that, moving. How about being out in nature? Yeah, it's a pretty common experience. Now, it's one thing to kind of say, oh, yeah, having a good time here, what do I have to do when I get home from, from this nature walk? Or, you know? And it's a whole other to not miss it and say, oh, here I am experiencing the joy radiating from my son's toothless spi- smile Oh, yeah, feels so good. When you pay attention to it, it deepens the grooves. And this is what uh, the Buddha suggested too. He said, it's one thing to feel a wholesome state. And then he said, if you're in the middle of it, notice the gladness, that feeling of uplift that's connected with that wholesome state. And he gives the example, being in the middle of a generous act. He says, if you happen to find yourself in a generous act, try saying to yourself, this is right in the discourse, one can think to oneself, I am being generous. He suggests that. He's not saying, I hope everybody sees how generous I am. (laughs) Check it out, pretty generous. No, he's saying, feel what it's like for generosity to move through you. Don't miss it. Feel the gladness connected with that moment. This is how you maintain and increase the wholesome state through the power of mindfulness. So this is what um, we're doing here. You don't have to try to manufacture wholesome states. 
Don't get caught in thinking you need to be doing anything other than being present for where you are. Because the way it works is, if it's a challenging moment and there is curiosity and interest and acknowledging, oh, this is what this moment is like, without fighting it or hoping that it's going to go away, well, they said everything would change, well, let's get on with it, you know. But just allowing for it to be here, you're not in a struggle, and in itself, you start to open up to wholesome capacities. We'll talk about that more in a little while. And the other side, which I've mentioned and will hopefully keep reminding you uh, to the point where you see it, the moments that you're feeling really good, don't miss them. Let them be the subject of your mindfulness. Now, if you say, well, I don't know if I had that many moments, and maybe today you didn't have as many as you would have liked, but here's a little uh, tip for you. Instead of looking for peak experiences, you can start by noticing the moments that you're not miserable. (laughs) That's good enough. Okay, start there, you know, have a low bar. Uh, Oh, not miserable now. Huh, because not miserable actually starts, is very close to, oh, I'm okay now. And okay is really okay. Okay, actually, if you settle your awareness in okayness, Oh, okayness means you don't need a whole lot more to make it an okay moment because it's already okay. It's only when you want it to be dazzling with bells and whistles that okay isn't good enough. So we're going for good enough. We're going for kind of okay. That's a start. And don't miss it. And notice, oh, this is a moment of okayness. And the more you pay attention to that, it's like you give it life. As long as you're not trying to grasp anything more, oh, this is a moment of life that's actually okay. And other moments do come of real okayness, but not because you're grasping, because here's the paradox if you've got a kind of pleasant moment and you say, bring it on, let's amp it up, or I hope it doesn't go away, as soon as you've got any kind of grasping, that wholesome state has just turned to an unwholesome state. Because any kind of contraction of mind or heart or body That is the definition or one definition of an unwholesome state. So all the wholesome states, as we said, as you said, oh, there's a kind of radiating, there's an openness. So you've got to just simply be present for it. Don't miss it. That's good enough. Now, how this then leads to or operates with these other wholesome states So I want to talk for a little while about um, intention, the power of intention, which in 
in the um, the process that I that I um, just came up with or felt like the right one to me. Intention is the first of all of these wholesome states because everything starts with intention, with your decision to make it happen. It's said in the, in the teachings that intention is the basis of all karma. The Buddha has this, this line, intending, I tell you, is karma. Intending through body, speech, and mind, we create karma. Now, what is intention? Intention is not a goal. They're they're related somewhat, but not the same. Intention is not an expectation. Intention is simply inclining the mind, having a particular vision, and inclining the mind towards making that happen. Except all you can do is show up as best you can. Once you have a vision, you decide to do your part and then let life support you in that. Because again, any kind of grasping and you are cutting yourself off. So there's this delicate dance about intention that is different from grasping. And the way it works, say, through in modern neuroscience, we know that once you incline the mind or the heart, you can use them interchangeably in any particular direction, which is very much colored by your beliefs about what is possible to have happen, your brain actually starts looking for what will support and confirm that. In neuroscience, it's called a confirmation bias. And you are, as Dan Siegel says, priming the brain to notice what you're looking for. This also goes for when you're hoping that something doesn't happen. When you say, I hope this doesn't happen, well, the brain doesn't quite get hope it doesn't. It just gets, oh, what might happen, and goes for that. You ever notice that when you start to worry about something? Oh, God, I hope this doesn't, I hope I don't go to this party and feel awkward and feel like I don't belong. Yeah, well, maybe sometimes magic happens and you meet somebody and it's like fabulous. But a lot of times, if you're feeling awkward and hoping that people don't notice how awkward you're feeling, you feel that much more awkward because you're hoping they don't notice. We kind of create our realities in that way. So this is different from intention. Intention is, especially when it comes to well-being, is seeing the possibility of that happening and then doing your part to make it happen. 
maybe you're familiar with this book. It was a, it's a classic, and I really uh, um, uh, uh, was very inspired by it. It's got a strange title, uh, Think and Grow Rich. It's a great book, written by Napoleon Hill uh, like uh, about 80 years ago or so. And it was one of the first, it was the first prosperity book, at least that I know of. But he basically sums up the secret of prosperity in this, this phrase, whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Very simple. Whatever the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. That's how it works. This is very much like the Buddha saying, we are what we think with our thoughts we make the world. Our mind is the forerunner of all things. Our minds create our reality and we can create hell realms or we can create Buddha realms or heaven realms. Intention is the key to making a shift. And even if you've had a long-standing habit, things can change once you get clear on the clear-cut decision to do your part to make it happen. And I'll share with you a, actually a couple of anecdotes about this. You might be familiar with um, the positive psychology movement of seeing wellness instead of pathology. I was a psych major in in college, and you read the Abnormal Psych book if you've ever uh, taken psych, and and you read Abnormal Psychology, and each chapter it's like, oh yeah, I've got that neurosis, yep. That one too, oh God, what a mess. Oh, psychosis on now, yeah, I can see that in me too. The more you look for it, the more you find it. And then amazingly, about oh, 15 or 20 years ago, this guy Martin Seligman, when he became head of the American Psychological Association, said, how about wellness? How about looking for health instead of pathology? And it has ushered in a, a whole new approach to Psychology, psychological well-being. And he writes in his book, Authentic Happiness, which is really the, the, um, uh, the Bible of, of this movement, how the positive psychology movement started. He says, The moment took place in my garden while I was weeding with my five-year-old daughter, Nikki. I have to confess that even though I write books about children, I'm really not all that good with them. I'm goal-oriented and time-urgent, and when I'm weeding in the garden, I'm actually trying to get the weeding done. (laughs) Nikki, however, was throwing weeds into the air, singing and dancing around. I yelled at her. She walked away and then came back and said, Daddy, I want to talk to you. (laughs) Yes, Nikki, I said. Daddy, do you remember before my fifth birthday, from the time I was three to the time I was five, I was a whiner. I whined every day. When I turned five, I decided not to whine anymore. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. And if I can stop whining, 
you can stop being such a grouch. (laughs) This was for me an epiphany, nothing less. Nikki hit the nail right on the head. I was a grouch. I'd spent 50 years mostly enduring wet weather in my soul and the last 10 being a nimbus cloud in a household full of sunshine. Any good fortune I had was probably not due to my grumpiness, but in spite of it. In that moment, I resolved to change. That was the start of the positive psychology movement. And the rippling effect has been immense. Making a decision to change is something that has tremendous power in it. Even if you think for your whole life that it's been just this way and that's the way it's going to be, you can change. And lest you think that it's only if you're in glorious circumstances, maybe you're going through a hard time. I want to share with you one other story about intention. This is from uh, a book that I, I love called uh, How We Choose to Be Happy, written by these, these uh, two guys who've become friends who speak at the Joy Course, where they, have, um, they did a three-year research project of uh, identifying certifiably happy people, <clears throat> 320 of them. Right? And they'd meet somebody, and if everybody agreed... They go into a town in rural Alabama and go to the diner and say, who's the happiest person around here? And people would say, Shirley, she's pretty happy. And then they go and speak to Shirley. You happy? Yeah, I'm pretty happy. And then they say, can we speak to some of your friends, you know, maybe who know your, your co-workers or your family? And if everybody said, yeah, Shirley's a pretty happy person, they'd say, why are you so happy? And they distilled these different choices that happy people make. And this is one uh, story, Adele's story, lest you think you have to have it all, all your ducks in a row before you can have true well-being. She says, in one horrible 24-month period, my life evaporated. I lost everything. My house burned down to the ground leaving me with nothing, no clothes, photos, furniture, no material reminder of my previous life. During that time, both of my parents died unexpectedly. My husband left me for a younger woman. At the same time, my restaurant went bankrupt. My friend, my best friend, moved to Seattle. Even the dog died. I had nothing I was so filled with grief, I thought maybe God was somehow preparing me to die. Everything was gone. Maybe this was some monumental lesson in letting go and then I should let my life go too. But as my initial shock began to clear, a feeling that I wanted to live outweighed all of my thoughts about death. I began to see there was hope among the ashes. There was one big opportunity here. I had a clean slate. As long as I had to start over and create a whole new life, I was going to create a happy one. I wanted to feel whole. I was sure that I wanted to embrace everything in life, the good and the bad. 
I wanted a feeling of contentment and to feel rested and gentle. I wanted to feel unafraid, to feel I could handle anything that came my way. And I wanted to feel this way for the rest of my life. In spite of my grief, I could see this all added up to happiness for a lifetime. And she talks about, and uh, my friends have, have told me, it took her a while to get through all that. It's not like you can just suddenly turn on the switch. It took her a few years to process all the grief, but she wasn't afraid to feel it. And she was determined to go for true happiness. And she is somebody who lights up a room. They say, and I, I know Rick and Greg, you know, you, it's, it's just amazing. You walk into a room and she's just got that sparkle. You can start over. You can start fresh. Every moment here in the meditation is a new, a new moment. Instead of, oh, I've been having a hard time for the last 30 minutes and I've got another 15 to go. It's the beginning. Make it the very beginning. This is the beginning of a 15-minute sitting. Let go of what's happened. So this intention is really the key. And it's the intention really to be happy. The intention to put well-being in the center of your life, to go for true happiness. When you do this, something magic happens. But you have to get clear on your intention. Many people don't really put this in the center of their life, thinking, well, when I become successful, then I'll be happy. Or when I meet the right person, partner, then I'll be happy. When I make a lot of money, then I'll be happy. When I get my parents' approval, then I'll be happy. When I, you can fill it in, and that is just postponing happiness. It's finding it to the best of your ability right now, right here. How can I relate to this moment and appreciate it and open up to it? We all want to be happy. Anybody here that doesn't want to be happy? And if you're holding your hand from going up saying, yeah, I like being grumpy, that's just your way of being happy. (laughs) But everything you do, you do because there's something in you that's thinking, this will make me feel better or this will make me feel not as bad. Even though we can get misguided and do crazy things, we're doing it from a place that we hope that we'll feel better from it. So what we're doing as we have the intention for well-being or to awaken joy is accessing that place inside of us that's really rooting for our happiness, even if it gets a little confused as to where it lies. Then the trick is to just see where happiness truly lies. So... Before we go on, I invite you um, to uh, close your eyes and just go inside. And if you, if you can, 
get in touch with the fact that you truly do want to enjoy your life as much as possible, if that's so, that you truly would like to be at ease, have inner peace, open to up to all the goodness in your life inside and out. Now you might see that things are getting in the way. Don't worry about them. You don't have to get rid of anything. Just get in touch with that place that genuinely is rooting for your well-being and happiness. And imagine what it might be like to get better and better at accessing that place and cultivating genuine well-being for your own sake and for everybody else in your life. And if it seems like a worthwhile thing to do, see if you can get in touch with the decision to do your part to bring that about. Let go of the timetable or the report card, just that you want to show up for yourself and allow life to support you in that. This is not hoping it'll happen, but just deciding to do your part to make it happen. open your eyes. If you can get in touch with that at all, even just a little glimmer maybe in there among all the static. Yeah, I really do. Well, why would you sign up for an Awakening Joy Retreat if you, if you didn't? Let's face it, right? If you can just get in touch with a little bit, then that's, that's worth gold more than gold, because that is where everything else comes from. Where everything else comes from. Mm. I'll read this passage that maybe you're familiar with from the Scottish Himalayan expedition. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, There's one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. And that is that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and mate- meetings and material assistance which no person would have, could have dreamt would have come their way. I've learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius. 
power and magic in it. That's this power of intention, which the Buddha said is the key to creating true well-being. Just intending to cultivate wholesome states and not be thrown by unwholesome states. That's how it starts. So I want to spend a little bit of time now on the last piece that I said I'd talk about. And that is, particularly in this first day or two, um, you probably, or many of you, will notice maybe more states of difficulty or challenging moments than joyful ones. Not everyone. And there's some people, I'm sure, who are saying, gosh, it's so wonderful to be here. Thank goodness. And who either have had faith in the practice or are just feeling in a good space. Their energy is up for whatever reason. And the, um, the wholesome is, is more available. But for many people, as I said before, the resistance and all the, those, those factors make it a challenge. So I want to talk about how opening up to the challenging moments is really a pathway to joy. And when I say this, I want to just put in the caveat that you're not looking for more challenging moments. You're not looking for the difficulties. It's more not being afraid of them when they come or learning how to deal with them little at a time. The, the first noble truth, as I mentioned uh, before, in the Buddhist teachings is their suffering. He called it like it is. Yeah, there's suffering in life. And he said, the more you can understand suffering and not be afraid of it, the more you can move to the end of suffering. And the suffering can be external suffering, circumstances happening to us, or internal suffering, our own confusions or pain or re- relationship to what's happening. And that's it. How we relate to it is the key. In one of uh, the Buddhist teachings, he talks about how suffering can lead to faith. Faith can lead to gladness. Gladness can lead to joy. Joy can lead to happiness and contentment to peace, all the way to full awakening. But it starts out, this list, suffering can lead to faith. How is that possible? Let me ask, how many people have been motivated by sorrow or pain or suffering in their life to look for answers to find a deeper meaning to life? Raise your hand if that's so. Look around. That's how it works. Because when things are going fine, hey, cool, I finally hit clear sailing. You know? And you don't want to miss it. You want to enjoy it fully and be so grateful to it. But 
suffering shakes us out of our complacency and helps us realize we aren't running the show. And there is a movement towards looking for a meaning in all of this. The greatest tragedies often are what wakes us up. Think of something, uh, again, ask you to reflect. Just look back. Again, you can close your eyes for a moment just so this is relevant to you. Look back to uh, a challenging situation or period in your life that you got through. And as you reflect that you got through that, just ask yourself, what did you learn? What lessons you learned getting through that one? How did it help you grow? And make, make you the person who you are or help make you the person you are. Generally, that's how we grow, through the challenges. This is, uh, I can find it, from Helen Keller, that inspiring, amazing human being, not able to see or hear. Most of them, I'm sure you know the story of Helen Keller, where she says, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. All the world is full of suffering. It's also full of overcoming. As we're willing to open up to the hard stuff, what we see is we have the capacity to deal with it. And if you look back on all the things that you've gone through that have shown you, oh, I really am stronger than I thought I was. Wow, I got through that one. It's kind of funny how we might have gone through thousand of trials and then the next one is like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know, how will I make it through this one? But you've made it through all the others. And so there's something about going through it with eyes wide open and seeing, oh, my thought about how awful this is is probably not as bad as how it really is. And if it is too much, as you're going through these days, and sometimes people can get in touch with with, um, very... Um, very difficult memories or they're dealing with stuff that seems a bit overwhelming, you can always move back what I call titrating our dukkha. You just touch it a little and then you move back. But to see the more you run away from, the more you are going to be putting energy into whatever it is. And so part of the skill here is learning to open up in a skillful way to an unpleasant moment when it's here or to know what your limits are and see, okay, time to back off out of self-compassion. 
or to turn my attention someplace else. I don't have to go and be with the pain in my shoulder forever. I can turn and open up to sounds. I can take a break. But I don't have to be afraid of the fear itself. So there's all kinds of benefits that come from this. This is Khalil Gibran. Your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. How else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Not because you're looking for it, but because you're not afraid to face anything. And you see there is a wisdom and a heart as wide as the world that can open to it all. So, one moment at a time, being present for your experience, having the intention to support true well-being, and being willing to open up to the difficulties just a little at a time to build your muscle of courage and compassion and wisdom. That's what we're doing here, moment after moment. So um, just take a moment to be quiet together. you for your attention. Um, Let's take 20 minutes for um, some freshening up and we'll come back for a short 20. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.